So this morning we're looking at the issues of transgender related to these kinds of issues. In the last few years, as I mentioned before, uh, the issue of gender and defining one's own gender has become very prominent. 2015, we have the Olympian Bruce Jenner uh, coming out and being a magazine cover, being being nominated, I think, ESPN's you know, um, person of the year or hero of the year uh, for, for transitioning from a man into a woman and now being called Caitlyn Jenner. So we have it in magazines, it's in movies, TV shows, social media, traditional media outlets, it's in now our education system, promoting this new idea of, of having a non-binary gender as normative, healthy, science-based, and just right. Okay, and I have a, a magazine that was given to me in preparation for this from National Geographic, a whole issue dedicated to this issue of gender and how we ought to think about gender in our day and age today. We have laws that have been introduced and passed in, in our own province, in our own country, to add gender identity and gender expression as grounds of non-discrimination, along with race, along with religion, and other things like that. So what, is, what does this mean, and how do we think about this as a Christian? And so this morning, what I'm going to do is, is take the scriptures, and that passage is read. I'm not going to go through it in detail, but that passage is really going to orient us to the, the wider scope of today's message. But what I want to do is give us a Christian understanding of these issues and, and in a way that is not condemning or accusatory or that's them, this is us, uh, but a way that takes the good news of the scriptures and applies it to an issue that is very controversial. Now, the first thing we need to do in any kind of discussion is to make sure we actually understand and we're actually talking the same language as those that we want to have a conversation with. And there's a number of terms that perhaps you're familiar with and perhaps not. Things like gender, gender identity, gender expression, transgender, gender dysphoria. You know, what, what do all these words mean? And it's important because I'm going to use some of these terms. I want to define some of them right up front. Okay? So first, I'm going to talk about sex. When we talk about sex or biological sex, what are we talking about? We're talking about someone's biological makeup. Okay, so when, when, and even in, in a magazine like this, when sex is used, it's referring to someone's genetics. Okay, their biology. Men have Y chromosomes in their cells, women XX. Okay, and that defines uh, something about the, the, that person. It means differences in, 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 in physical makeup. Uh, it means differences in reproductive organs. Okay, it, it means that, that men are going to typically have more muscle. They're going to have more body hair. They're going to have a deeper voice. They're going to have broader soldiers. soldiers. Women, vice versa, are going to have um, less of those things. They're going to have, They're going to have less strength. They're going to have reproductive or, organs to help them carry, give birth to, and nurse a baby. Okay, these differences are significant and they can't just be overlooked. Okay, and, and these differences especially become prominent with the onset of puberty. Okay, so that's what I mean by a biological sex. Second is gender. Now, gender until recently was connected with sex. It was another way to describe whether you're male or female biologically. Okay, but now it's removed from sex. And according to the American Psychological Association, okay, the APA, I'm going to be talking about them a couple times this morning, they define gender as this, as attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. Okay, so general categories of what's masculine and what's feminine, their cultural issues, their feelings, their behaviors, they're not something that is necessarily tied to 
your biology. That's gender. Brings us to gender identity. What's gender identity? Gender identity is a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, whether masculine, feminine, or somewhere in between. Even non-gender is a, is a gender identity. Okay, Gender non-conforming. The idea that um, we can perceive ourselves. So my, my body might be male, but I can perceive myself to be female. And so I d- identify, my identity is that of female. So that's what gender identity means. Now, when a person's gender identity matches their physical makeup, we call that gender conforming, okay? Or the label today they might have heard is called cisgender, C-I-S gender, cisgender. And so if your gender identity matches your biological gender, then you're cisgender, okay? Now, if your gender identity doesn't match who you are physically in terms of your biological sex, then this is called a, a, a gender nonconformity or it's called gender dysphoria, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean you're transgender, it just means that in your mind, there's a mismatch between how you perceive yourself to be and how you feel yourself to be and who you are physically. Okay? To suffer from gender dysphoria, I'm not trying to use that as a, as a dirty term. That's a term that is in psychological textbooks. It's in, it's in, the, it's in the APA, the, the, the Psychological Association of America. Okay? They, they use that as a term. It's a medical term to describe someone whose gender identity doesn't match their physical makeup. Okay? That's gender dysphoria. The next term is transgender. Okay? So when a person experiences gender dysphoria, that mismatch between who they perceive themselves to be and their biological sex, and when they choose to, to, to um, live according to their perception in some measure, then we call that, tr- that person is transgender. Okay? So someone can have gender dysphoria and choose to live according to their biological sex. That person is not transgender. But if someone chooses to live according to their self-perception, their gender identity that doesn't match their their sex and and who they are physically, either by clothing, by makeup, um, by surgery, by hormones, a variety of different means, if they do any of that, then that is what is called someone who is transgender, okay? So this is not my definition. This is coming straight from, this is not from, from Christian literature. This is coming straight from, from how the experts, so to speak, in our society today are defining these terms, okay? So a transgender, the term transgender is an umbrella term for a person living in some measure consistent with their gender identity that is different from their biological sex, Okay. Now, some of this, these terms must, might be old hat for you by now. Some might be new. Okay. But it's very important for us to understand the issues before we can speak to them. Okay. I was pounded upon in my theological education that you are never allowed to say, I disagree, unless you can first say, I understand. Okay. And that, that's a good rule of thumb that we shouldn't say, I disagree until we can say, yes, I understand. Okay. So now, trying to understand some of the terms and experiences that people are facing in our day and age, in our culture. Now what I want to do is turn to the scriptures to see what the Bible would say about those things that we've just been talking about. Okay, someone who's, whose gender identity mismatches their biological sex, who, who suffers from gender dysphoria. Okay, so our world is saying today that if you have gender dysphoria... The solution for you is the transition. 
okay, is to become transgender, to embrace that and, and to have the whole society embrace that because if everyone doesn't embrace it, then, then your self-perception is going to conflict with other people's perception and that's going to cause depression and perhaps even suicide. And so we want everyone in the culture to be on board and affirming of who you perceive yourself to be because then you'll be most satisfied in yourself. And things will be best for you and for our world. That's why it's a big push. Okay? But I'll show you things from the scriptures. Transgenderism is really an effort to deny Genesis 1 and yet it affirms Genesis 3 it needs a Revelation 21 transformation by way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? That is the sentence that I'm seeking to talk about here this morning. Okay? So, transgenderism and the push for people suffering from gender dysphoria to, to, to move according to their self-perception towards that gender that they perceive themselves to be is really an effort to deny Genesis 1, but in fact... It Affirms Genesis 3, and what is truly needed is a Revelation 21 transformation by way of the cross of Christ. Now, if, that, if you're like, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> well, that's what we're going to do now. Okay, so we're going to start with that first phrase, that transgenderism is an effort to deny Genesis 1. What do I mean by that? Well, you can turn to Genesis 1 if you want, or you can listen as I read. I'm going to read Genesis 1, the very first book, very first chapter in the Bible, easy to find. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27 and verse 31 of Genesis 1. Okay? This is right smack dab, the pinnacle of God's creation account when he, when he made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. Genesis 1, 26, 27, 31 says this. Okay? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. In verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Here we have the first chapter of the Bible. God describing how he created mankind and he made mankind as male and female. Okay? With biological differences and, and more than just biological differences, as we get into Genesis chapter 2, we get more detail into that creation account when God makes Eve as a helper suitable for Adam, as a complement fit for him. That is, and then we have, we have marriage also in chapter 2. And so we have here is a, is a role, not just a difference of physiology between a male and a female, but differences in role where Adam is called to lead in that relationship. Eve is called to come and to submit to her husband and be a helper to him. The two of them are to exercise dominion over the earth and they are to come together in marriage as a one man and one woman in a one flesh relationship and they're called to be fruitful and multiply. This is God's given design for masculinity and femininity, for manhood and womanhood and for marriage, all in the first two chapters of Genesis. And God says, behold, this is very good. And when he said, behold, it is very good, that's not, we just look and say, yeah, it was good. What it means is when God made male and female, it was good in the sense that there was no confusion in Adam's mind over who he was. 
He knew he was male. He knew he was called to lead. He knew he was called to to subdue the earth. He knew he was called to provide and protect for his wife and to lead her spiritually. He knew those things. There was no, no confusion in God's good creation about who we were physically and who we might perceive ourselves to be mentally. Okay? There was no gender dysphoria in the beginning when God created everything good. No sin, no distortion, no pain, no We have the roles of men and women and children. The design of marriage clearly articulated. And we still see that in our day and age today. As much as our world seeks to to say that if you have any different marriage, then somehow you have an inequality, somehow that's a sign of worth, it just doesn't work. You know, we have law enforcement in our city who's called to to protect the citizens in the city who are going to, to lay down their lives for others. Okay, and, and they serve in this position. It doesn't mean because of what they do that they are somehow um, either more valuable or less valuable than those they protect. They're protecting human beings. We're all human beings. We're all created equal in terms of our dignity and value and worth before our Creator. And that's exactly what the Bible affirms. We have different roles here in our society. And it doesn't mean that I'm of an individual because I'm not the prime minister of this country. Because, because Justin Trudeau has more authority than us. It doesn't mean because of his role that he's somehow more important as a human being. We all have dignity and value and worth regardless of our, of our role. Now, as our society tries to change the, the view of marriage and of manhood and womanhood that we have in the first few chapters of the Bible when God said it was very good, we still see, even now, the same good design. On the, back of, on the back of your handout, if you have a handout for this morning's sermon, there's a picture taken this week from the flooding in Houston when the hurricane came through. And it's a picture of a man who's out there as a rescuer. And that man is carrying a woman. And that woman is carrying a child. It's a picture in that one snapshot, whether that person meant to or not, was a picture of God's good design for manhood, womanhood, and children. And it affirms that while we might try to deny the differences between us when we have a crisis and a situation like this, we have the roles of men and women and children clearly articulated in that picture. So God made us male and female, not one better than the other, but both equally created in God's image, both partakers of God's grace, both beautiful in our similarities and our differences. And he made male and female as a foundation for marriage, a foundation for the family, foundation for all of society. Back in Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? Now the idea that someone who experiences gender dysphoria should embrace the gender that they perceive themselves to be and not their biological is something that's completely contrary to what the good design we see in the scriptures between male and female. And we'll talk more about that in a second. In a sense, in this sense, transgenderism seeks to displace or deny the Genesis 1 account. That is, this is not the way that God made me. Okay, so we have in our day and age no longer a Genesis 1 framework for who we are as male and female, but we have another framework that has come in its place. Perhaps you're wondering, how can we as a society... um, be, 
perhaps you're, you're thinking, well, when I was a child, things were different. How can things have changed so quickly in terms of gender, gender identity, gender expression, all these different things? This all seems so very new to me. How did we get here? Well, this is not a new thing because the foundation, the scriptures and a Genesis 1-2 foundation has been taken away and replaced with something that is new. And there's three things that I want to share this morning about these, this new authority that we have in our lives, in our culture today. The first is relativism. The idea that meaning and truth are relative. So what might be right or wrong for one person is not necessarily right or wrong for another person. You might have heard phrases like this, you can't tell me what to do. That is, this is not wrong for me. There's no such thing as absolute truth. You might have heard that statement. Or, that's great for, that's great for you. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad, I'm glad Christianity is working for you. It's great for you. It's not for me. These are all statements that are standing upon this shaky foundation of relativism. The idea that, that truth and objective truth really doesn't exist at all. And that we're just around by perceptions. There's no right way to understand the world. Then we have individualism or radical individualism. That is, what an individual wills or wants is the highest good. Okay? What we, what we determine ourselves to want, what we want to believe in ourselves, that is the highest good for yourself. And the greatest wrong, the greatest sin in our culture today is to disagree with someone. Is to tell them they're wrong. Is to tell them they need to change. Is it, is it tell them, no, you didn't get that right. You, you, you can't say that to people in our day and age. That is supremely offensive. You're breaking the cardinal rule of this radical individualism where our self-perception of what is best is determinative. And you can't speak against that. And so we can't judge. You can't offend. So relativism, radical individualism, and the third one is the sexual revolution. The idea that our bodies are our own and they're for us to enjoy in whatever way we want. That our sexuality is much like our food choices. And you just you fill your belly with food and it doesn't really matter. You, your, your sexual desires, you just gratify them in any way you want. If it feels good, it makes you happy, can't be that bad. You probably have songs going through your head right now. Of the lyrics that have been ringing through our, our minds for decades laying the foundation for what we see in our world today. And as a product of the sexual revolution, we have the birth control pill, we have abortion, we have divorce rates just soaring, we have sex before marriage, we have homosexuality, and now we have confusion about gender. And so the sexual revolution is still steamrolling in our day. And and who knows where it's going to go next? Probably polyamory or polygamy will be the next thing. And so the question becomes, as we consider the denial of Genesis 1 and 2, and these other things of relativism, individualism, the sexual revolution, it's really a matter of who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to trust? Who knows, really? And as those who listen to the Bible and the Word of God, we know that this is the Word from our Creator. And so God knows, and He speaks with supreme authority no authority. There is one in the other foundation. And so really, as we consider the transgender movement, 
Um, it's really a denial or an effort to deny Genesis 1. I'm careful to say that it's an effort to deny Genesis 1 because in reality, no one can escape the truth of God. No one can escape God's given design for male and female. We can try. And really any attempt to change our bodies, to fit our self-perception, is ultimately going to work. Transgenderism in and of itself cannot work. The reason being because the problem is our self-perception of gender is different than our biological makeup. Now, Go forward in our day and age, and if you're below puberty, take, horm- take puberty blockers, you might take hormones, you might have gender reassignment surgery, but even if you do all of those things, you are still not, if you are a man, you're still not female. Biologically, you're still not a biological female. Still, there is still going to be conflict in your mind. There's still going to be a, a sense of dysphoria uh, because no one can actually transition from a male to a female. We can't change our genetic makeup of XX chromosomes to XY chromosomes. We can, we can put chemicals in and we can cut up our bodies and we can do these kinds of things, but we're not actually transitioning from one sex to another. And in fact, it's so sad to see in this National Geographic, they have, a, have an image of this young teen girl who so desperately wants to be a boy. And she has, she has um, puberty blockers. She's on hormone pills. She has cut her hair. She dresses a certain way. But then she also recently um, had surgery to remove her breasts so she could go out in public without her shirt on like the boys do, leaving her with scars on her body from that surgery. And it makes me weep. The magazine has shared that in, in, in light of, you should see this and you should feel good for this young girl. And I'm like, this girl is missing out on what it means to be a mother. She is never going to know motherhood the way God designed it because her body has been mutilated by doctors who swore an oath to protect and to help people. And she's left hard. She's not a man. Never be a man. But she's a woman now who's had her breast removed. So embracing transgenderism is never going to be a solution to gender dysphoria. Suicide rates continue to be high and it's not because society has not grown to affirm transgender. John Hopkins University, not a Christian, or university hospital, not a Christian hospital. They were the first to perform gender reassignment surgeries and they stopped doing it because it doesn't work. It doesn't actually cure People are still committing suicide. Under pressure to start it again if they haven't started again recently. So there are real genuine issues that we can't ignore, but they can't be remedied by clothing, name changes, hormones, or even surgery. Because this brings me to the next point that I want to discuss. Okay, in an effort to deny Genesis 1, transgender, and this push to transition gender actually affirms Genesis 3. And what do I mean by that? In Genesis 3... We have the account of the world falling into sin. Okay? We can see in our world right right now great beauty. We see mountains, we see rivers, look up at the stars, and we're all filled with a sense of awe and wonder because of the beauty that God has made this world. We know love, we know joy. This is because God has made this world beautiful, but we can also look around and see 
war and murder and hatred and rape and abuse. And we know that this world is not right. And so we have a sense, we see the beauty of the world, but then we see this other side of the world that is so ugly. And that is a Genesis 3 world. Because in Genesis 3, that's when sin entered in the world. That's when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and a curse came upon all of creation. And so in the, in the opening chapters of Genesis, we have all these different sins that we see even today. They're still here because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. And part of this brokenness is a brokenness in the conception of ourselves. And I'm not just talking about our conception of who we are in terms of our gender. I'm talking about things even like pride and depression. These are all problems of, of wrong self-conception. Because in our pride, we conceive ourselves to be more important than we actually are. We're denying the reality that we're a creature made in God's image to love and to serve Him. But in our pride, we have a conception of ourselves that we're strong, we're powerful, we deserve respect, and you guys need to show it to me. And if you don't, now I'm suffering from depression. Because depression is another symptom of, of a wrong self-conception. I'm more important and I'm worth more than all of you think that I am. And because you guys are not affirming me and, and who I see myself as being, I'm now depressed. And so again, there's a mismatch between the question of myself and who I am in reality. And then we have self-conceptions that are more serious, like anorexia. Anorexia lands women in hospital, and we've been praying for them. They're thin, they're skinny, and yet when they look in the mirror, they say, I'm fat, disgusting, I need to lose more weight. And so they, they, they're bulimic, they'll make themselves vomit, they won't eat food, and they end up going to the hospital because their body starts to shut down because they do not have enough uh, nutrition and enough fat in their body to sustain them. And so there's a problem with their self-conception and who they actually are. We even have individuals today who, who are what our society labels as, as transabled. Okay, another, another term in the American Psychiatric Association, transabled. The idea that people who, who are born with fully functional limbs, fully functional bodies, who are convinced in their self-conception, who perceive themselves to be disabled. And they say, this arm and this hand shouldn't really be here. This is not mine. This is not who I perceive myself to be. I'm a disabled person. And they want surgery. And if some doesn't get them surgery, sometimes they'll take means to get rid of that limb. And they'll say, then I'll feel much better if I get rid of this limb. That is a true psychiatric condition. And these people are called transabled. They want to transition to be disabled people. And so there's a mismatch between their self-conception and who they are physically. This misconception is all a product of our sin-cursed world and gender dysphoria is part of this same brokenness of self-conception. Gender dysphoria is real, real people in real pain because their self-conception doesn't match their biological sex. Something that we cannot be um, dismissive to, but is a real issue that we must be compassionate and loving and understanding. Now the solution to whether it's anorexia, to whether it's transabled, whether it's gender dysphoria, is not to affirm someone and, and, and encourage them to become transgender. But what is needed is a transformation. But not a transformation of physical or clothing or, or hormones. What is needed is a Revelation 21 transformation. 
And that's what we'll look at next. So turn to Revelation 21. We started in, in um, Genesis 1, and now we're going to the very last chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 and 22 are the last chapters of the Bible. We're going to go to Revelation 21. Okay, so in an effort to deny Genesis 1 and encouraging someone to transition gender, we actually affirm Genesis 3. And what is needed is a Revelation 21 transformation. Not a transformation of who you are and who you express yourselves to be, but rather a Revelation 21 transformation. Let me read the first six verses of Revelation 21. Okay, this is, this is the good news of the scriptures to the issue of gender dysphoria. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Okay, this is, this is talking about the new creation when Jesus returns and makes everything new. And he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He who said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I'm going to stop there and can you read in a moment. As we consider the new heavens and the new earth, this, we're considering here the storyline of the Bible. We read in Romans 8 when we started about how creation groans because of the fall in Genesis 3. And its hope is the revealing of the sons of God for that new creation that comes that we just read about in Revelation 21. That is our great hope as Christians. Not that our life would be nice and easy. And that right now I'm freed from any kind of dysphoria or any kind of abnormality in my self-perception that I may have. That's not my great hope. My great hope is that Jesus Christ is returning and that all those who are his are going to be changed and transformed and live in his paradise where there will be no death, no sin, no suffering, no confusion, no brokenness, no pain, no dysphoria, all eradicated. So who I perceive myself to be will match perfectly with who I am. And I'll have joy in God and I'll be with him forever. That is the transformation that we all need, regardless of the sin that is in our life. This is what the scriptures call the, the new creation. Even back in Genesis 3, this is what God promised, that he was going to achieve through the Lord Jesus Christ, this new creation. This is what we all long for. We long to be whole. We long to be content. We long to be free from pain, from death, from conflict, and from suffering. Now this And this great future that we have in store is not promised to everyone. Okay, it says there in verse 6, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life. And in fact, he continues in verse 7 and 8, if you look there with me, it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage 
and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is death. So it is those who are thirsty who come to the water of life. It is those who conquer, those who have faith, those who have been born again to a living hope that are going to enjoy this new creation. And this brings us to the last part of that biblical truth I started with. How transgenderism in an effort to deny Genesis 1 actually affirms Genesis 3 is in need of a Revelation 21 transformation by way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what does it mean to conquer? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to come to drink to this water of life? Lord Jesus, give me this water and I'll drink it. That's what the well, the well said. Jesus is the way that we enter into this new creation and to this transformation. Jesus entered into this world of brokenness. Jesus took on human flesh. He, he suffered and he died. He took upon the, himself the penalty for sin. He, he, was, he was spat at. He was scorned. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was crucified. He did that to save sinners like me and like you. So we could come to this new creation without payment. Because Christ has made the payment. And we can come thirsty Christ is that water of life that he promises to give to us that's going to spring up from within. It talks about here, the one who conquers will have this heritage. What are you talking about there? Revelation 21, 7. Well, John, who also wrote this letter in Revelation, also wrote 1 John. He says this in 1 John. For everyone who has been born of God, that is, born again by the Spirit of God, overcomes the world conquers and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that jesus is the son of god what does it mean to conquer in this world it means to believe in jesus it means to see in him your hope for transformation to see in him your need for healing what we don't, we don't need to change our physical makeup to try to match our self-perception. What we need when we have a mismatch between who we perceive ourselves being our physical makeup, who we need is Jesus. We need the healing touch of our creator who made male and female to restore us back into that image that he made us. So we feel whole and satisfied with who we are without the need for any kind of mutilation or hormones. Revelation 21 is that hope that we have and Jesus Christ is the means by which we get there. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to cling to Him? It's seeing in Jesus that He is truth, that He's love, that He's merciful, and that He's gracious, that He is the treasure, that He is what you need and you're going to cling to Him no matter what. So all of our sin... We're, we're going we're gonna to put our sin behind us because we want Jesus. And we see in him as the greatest thing that we need. More than the affirmation of others, we need Jesus. More than any, any remedy for our outer appearance, we need Jesus. He's the one who can actually heal us and help us. And so we hope and long for his healing touch. This is the message
that the Christian church and that the scriptures has for those who suffer from gender dysphoria. The same message that we all need. We all need the gospel. Regardless of what sin or what confusion you might have in your mind. You need Jesus. We need to see the beauty and the love and the wisdom and the grace of Jesus. We need to see him crucified and risen again for our righteousness to make a payment that we could never pay. We all need that. And so that's the message that we share. That's the hope of all of us who live in this sin-cursed world. The solution is not more activism, more lobby groups, more education, more money, more approval from others. What we need is the healing touch of our Creator through the cross of Jesus Christ. So, and that's why I begin this morning by saying the transgender movement did not Genesis 1 actually affirms Genesis 3 needs a Revelation 21 transformation by way of the cross of Jesus, which is what Romans 8 we read before says in a nutshell. Now, what I want to do at this point, I've shared what, what the Bible as a whole would say about this issue. A few questions that may be lingering in your mind that I want to just address here and now, okay? That question that I've asked, that people have asked me, we'll handle these questions quickly here. First one is this. What if you or someone you love experiences gender dysphoria and they want to follow Christ? Okay, what does it mean for someone who, who experienced gender dysphoria and, and wants to follow Christ? What does that look like? They don't feel right in their body. Their self-conception doesn't match who they are biologically. And... They long for this new creation. They long for forgiveness. They long for healing. They, they want to follow Jesus. What does it mean? Okay. Following Jesus would mean that you would embrace and live according to your God-given gender. So who he has made you biologically, we are to embrace that and live according to that. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen on day one that someone starts following Christ. We must be compassionate and loving. And it may take time for someone, especially if they've been living their life for a while. They'll have to get new clothes. They'll have to, uh, they'll have to live a different lifestyle than they've lived. But to be a follower of Jesus means that we embrace the person that God made us to be. And we deal with that. We cannot give in and live according to desires that are contrary to God's design, whether that's gender dysphoria, whether that's lustful attraction, whether that's same-sex attraction. Anyone who gives them to sin and who lives a lifestyle of sin has no confidence that they're one of Christ. And so our life as a follower of Christ is one marked of repentance, embracing who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ. And so it may take some time, but someone should live consistent with who they are physically. Secondly, what if you know someone who is transgender and they have no desire to follow Christ? They're not a Christian. They don't want to be a Christian. Should we treat them as the person or gender that they conceive themselves to be or not? Should we use the pronouns that they want to use or not? This is a big question. Christians are called to be loving, and the world knows that. But the world has a different definition of love than Christians do. The world's definition of love is that you need to do whatever you can to affirm me in my self-perception. 
that would be loving. If you say anything that offends me, anything that, te- that is judgmental, anything that says that I'm wrong, anything that says I might not be quite right, that is unloving. And you can't do that. But that's not Christian love. Christian love is marked by compassion and tenderness and a kindness. But Christian love in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, as it has that love chapter, all these things about what it is, love rejoices in the truth. And so as Christians, we must lovingly tell people the truth. Even if that is not going to be received well, we should pray and tell them so very gently the good news of what the scripture says, but that we must treat them as God has made them. And so someone like Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, who's changed his name to Caitlyn Jenner, he's still a man. He's still a he. He has changed some of his physical characteristics. He is a a more feminine man, but he's still a man. And consider this. Would you think it's right to agree with an anorexic person who says they're fat? If they, if they really want you, they're anorexic, okay? They're, they're, they're 80 pounds and they should be about 140. And they want you to tell them and look at them and say, tell me I'm fat and tell me I need to lose weight. You, you don't, you don't, you're not loving me unless you tell me that because that's who I am. Would you be loving if you told them they're fat? No, you wouldn't. You'd be warning them about the danger they're in because they're not fat. They're too thin. They're in danger of, of losing their life over what they perceive to be wrong. They, they need help. They need the gospel. Would it be wrong to tell someone who wants to get their arms surgically removed that they shouldn't? That they're whole and well and this is how God has made them and you shouldn't cut your arm off no matter if you perceive yourself to be disabled? That would be the loving thing to do. So whether anorexia, whether transabled, whether transgender, we know what the loving thing is to do, to speak the truth in love. Now what about laws? Third question. We live in a province that says speaking out against issues of transgender is a hate crime, isn't it? Am I putting myself in danger right here this morning in giving a biblical view of gender in our day and age? Can they come and arrest me right now? The truth is no. Okay, not in our current laws. It may change that way right now. But right now, according to our current laws, gender identity and gender expression are, are protected from, from hate crimes. But to disagree is not a hate crime, even publicly, even strongly. Okay, and I want to read to you from a document written by the Canadian Bar Association. Okay, their association that has petitioned for the rights of transgender okay, and, and to change laws. So they're definitely not for a biblical worldview. But they respond against this objection that some have that we're not allowed to speak against things that we're convinced of. And they say this in their letter to the Senate. Uh, for hate crimes, Bill C-16, the latest bill enshrined gender identity and expression uh, to our protected class of people. For hate crimes, Bill C-16 adds gender identity or expression to the identifiable groups protected from those who advocate genocide, publicly incite hatred, likely to lead to a breach of the peace, or willfully promote hatred against them. Nothing in the section compels the use or avoidance of particular words in public as long as they are not used in their most extreme manifestations with the intent of promoting the level of of abhorrence, delegitimate, optimization and rejection that produces feelings of hatred against identifiable groups. 
Okay, so as long as we're not advocating genocide, which of course we're not, or hatred where you want people dead and we're willing to take violence against people, of course we're not. We want people to see the hope of Jesus Christ. He says those concerned that they could be criminalized, and I like this part, for their repugnant or offensive ideas fail to understand a crucial distinction to the law. And that's what they think about the scriptures. These are repugnant, offensive ideas that I've been talking about here this morning. They said you can have your repugnant and offensive ideas. That's not going to get you fined or in jail um, or criminalized, okay? But the, the, the point here is that nothing of what I said this morning is illegal or punish, punishable by Canadian law. You don't have to use someone's pronoun of choice or else you're going to be fined or go to jail. Now, there's places that are trying to petition and make that a law of the land. And the truth is, even if Christianity and proclaiming the gospel and speaking Christian truth is outlawed, we still must speak. Okay? Um, the scriptures are very clear that we, when the laws of man contradict the laws of God, we obey the laws of God. Okay? We don't want it to go there, obviously. But we're going to love our neighbor. And we're going to love them by sharing the gospel of grace and telling them about the forgiveness found in Jesus. Last question. What about children? What about our own children? Or others that we know who have been learning about trying the opposite gender, like they do in schools today, uh, or children who are convinced that they're the opposite gender? How do we approach this situation? Okay. Almost every single case in this magazine, the pictures and the stories are all about children, teenagers or younger. This seems to be the wave. You know, we used to have tomboys, and now they're transgender uh, boys, okay, who used to be girls. So, um, how do you deal with this for children? Well, children must be encouraged to live according, again, to their biological sex. Not only because this is right in God's eyes, but it's best for them. Because children who are encouraged to live as the opposite gender from a young age were only setting themselves up for incredible heartache and pain as they grow. Because again, their bodies can't match who they may perceive themselves to be. And we see over and over again, suicide after suicide after suicide. And so we must implore children to live according to who they physically are. Otherwise, we're putting them on that path that may lead to suicide. Consider these things. Children are not allowed to buy alcohol or tobacco products. Okay? We want to protect them. They, they're not responsible to make that decision. They're not allowed to buy alcohol or tobacco products. They can't even buy mature-rated video games. They can't go to an R-rated movie. They can't go in a store and buy their own clothing. They can't even feed themselves. They can't get a job. They can't take out a loan. They can't get a credit card. They can't get their own license. They can't take out a mortgage to buy a property or a home. And so many of these important decisions are made by others because children are not responsible enough to make these kinds of decisions. But yet today we're saying you can choose your gender, a life-altering, body-altering decision. We need to protect children. And we protect children by affirming them in their God-given physical gender. Especially before preview, when they can experience gender dysphoria and these things even are just phases of life that they grow out of. And now as they give children puberty blockers and hormones and, and different surgeries to children at a young age, that phase in life, if that passes, now they're in a position that it's irreversible. So for the sake of children, we should stand up and do what is right. But in all of this, as we consider this topic this morning, let us remember the love 
and the compassion of Jesus who did not affirm people in their sin, but he went among the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. Not to tell them what they're doing is right and fine and keep doing it, but to give them the gospel of grace. To tell them about a God who loves them and who wants to make them whole and well, who has a plan to forgive their sin through the death of his son and is ready to forgive them. And all those who are thirsty, all those who need a physician, all those who are, who are sick and in need of healing, come to Jesus. That's the message that we offer to this world, regardless of any cultural topic that we may face. So may God get, grant us grace and freedom to do this. And may those who experience gender dysphoria find the forgiveness and healing that they need in Jesus, who is the lover of their souls. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can, again, be here this morning and consider this difficult topic. I'm, I'm sure there's many questions and things that we can discuss even now. But I pray that we'd have a big picture view of how you have made this world from beginning of creation making all things good to this world falling into sin, and then your plan to make everything. And where we sit right now in the middle, between that groaning of the fall and between that hope of the new creation and how we look forward to that new creation through the forgiveness of sins we have in Jesus and that we have access in that new creation for what, because of what Jesus has done for us, that we would cling to him, that he would be our hope, regardless of the dysphoria that we may figure, knowing that some even experience complete healing of their dysphoria as they come to Christ, although we're not guaranteed. But I pray that we would see in Christ what we need and that we would come to him and cling to him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What I want to do now, you can um, stretch your legs for a second, but just for only for a second. We normally sing now, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask my dear friend Leslie to come up. Leslie Montgomery. Leslie, some of you might know Leslie. He goes to Calvary Grace Church here in town. Leslie has been out on the streets with us, evangelizing, sharing the gospel of Christ. And so some of you might have seen Leslie or know Leslie. But Leslie is going to share with us this morning a little bit about his story, specifically as it relates to this topic. And uh, so Leslie, I invite you to come up now. Nelson asked you to turn on mic six here so we can hear. Yeah, you've been sitting a long time, so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Good morning, everyone. I'm just uh, so grateful and honored that uh, Tim asked me to come and speak to you folks this morning. And uh, as I say, it's a real honor. And uh, I love the Lord. As I say, I've been out with uh, Kevin and Tim on the on the streets. I'm diabetic, so I don't stand very well at the most of the time. So if any of you are out there, when I was out there, I'd be sitting in a lawn chair on the sidelines, handing out tracts and talking to people as I was able. So, uh, but, and I just want to say. Uh, um, it took me a couple of weeks to respond to Tim because of my fears of speaking in front of people. I've only done it a couple of times, and the, the only time I've given this my my testimony was at a men's uh, men's group at uh, Calvary Grace, and uh, Tim was there that night. So uh, 
so this is uh, this is different for me. I've never been up behind a pulpit like this before, so as I say, it's a real honor. And uh, to begin with, I just want to say transgender, and, and I'm going to read my my uh, testimony because I, I'm not I'm not a real public speaker at all by any means. So I'm, if you bear with me, I'm going to read it. Transgenderism is a delusion that takes over the mind of the one who chooses to follow his sinful desires of the flesh and of the evil world system. Instead of the way of truth that comes from our loving and merciful God who created all things for his glory. These desires become the absolute most important things in that person's life, which control the very thought life of the individual who is taken over by them. And uh, believe me, these people are taken over with these thoughts. And uh, nothing else in the world matters. It destroys families and the life of those entangled in its grasp. Transgender is not, a, not about sexuality, but has to do with gender identity. And uh, Tim, I just want to say your, your talk on transgenderism was, was dead on. It was, was great. And I thank you for that. So I'd just like to share a few verses of Scripture before I tell my story. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And incidentally, in Matthew 24, where the disciples were asking Jesus, what will be the signs of your coming? And He said, uh, the first thing He said, was be not deceived. So there are so many deceptions in this world today that uh, it's no wonder the world is in the condition it is. So uh, now Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1, 24-26, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Ephesians 5, 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, 
And as I mentioned before, what I'm about to share is quite difficult. As a matter of fact, Friday night, I was under such... um, such attack by the enemy that he was trying to tell me that I never was a Christian and I'm not a Christian now and that I should uh, phone and cancel being here this morning. Well, I got on the friend to, to my friend uh, that, that came with me this morning and, and talked to him and uh, he encouraged me and prayed with me and uh, after that, I phoned my pastor, Clint, and uh, we talked for some time, and he prayed with me. And I continue on phoning people in the church and uh, asking them to pray for me. I think I was on the, uh, on the phone for about two hours. And you know, as I was phoning people, I could feel the Spirit of God lifting me up and uh, raising me up above that uh, attack of the enemy and giving me courage to do what what he wants me to do. So uh, I am here this morning, as you can see. Um, and uh, as I said, the only people I've shared this with are the men's group at my church. Some of the the men from the church were here that night too, and I've noticed a couple since well I've been here. Um, and uh, as I say, Calvary Grace is, Grace is my church home. And this is the story of my failure as a husband and father. Most of all, the failure of my God, or not putting God first in my in my life. The only reason that I tell you today is because I want to glorify Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who truly is the Good Shepherd, who goes after His sheep, and who have lost their way. He came after me and He saved me. I first believed in Jesus uh, and received Him when I was seven years old in a kid's crusade back in Manitoba where I grew up. My struggle with my besetting sin began when I was very young. As a boy of around nine or ten, I began to dress in my mother's clothes. This was a very unique experience that I found I really enjoyed. I actually remember praying to God that He'd do a miracle and turn me into a girl. And I must mention here that before I was born, my mother wanted a girl. I remember once her saying to me, uh, saying to someone while introducing me, this is the little girl I never had. When I was about 12, I was sexually abused by an older male teenager one time. It wasn't something I wanted to repeat. Over the years, I realized that this and the cross-dressing was not something that God was pleased about. I became aware of the scripture verse, Deuteronomy 22.5, which says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Uh, And as a result, whenever something would come on TV regarding transvestitism, 
Knowing my weakness in this area, I changed the channels. And when I was very young, I also entered into the use of pornography. I liked girls, but through my teen years, due to the fact that I was severely overweight, and because of my looks, I had no self-confidence to ask girls out. As a consequent, consequent, in, uh, in all of my teenage years, my dating life was pretty much non-existent. I liked girls. Oh, just a second. <laughs> I desire, desired to have a girlfriend like my buddies, but being a young man, well over 200 pounds, I didn't believe any girl would go out with me. I had a hatred of self because I was so fat. Nobody wants to date a fat man, I told myself. And so throughout my entire high school days, I only had two dates, which were both one day, one time only. As a result, I developed a very, very low self-esteem. During the early 1970s, I moved to Calgary. I really didn't have any hope that anyone would want to marry me. Incidentally, I came to, to uh, Calgary to uh, go to Bible school. I was to, during the Jesus People days, and uh, I got involved there. Um, as I say, I really didn't have any hope that anyone, anyone would ever want to marry me. And that all changed when my pastor told me that a certain girl in the church wanted to marry me. And, uh, just a second here, I lost my place. Yes, I had no previous interest in her, but under the circumstances, beggars can't be choosers. After all, I wanted to be married, and here was a woman that I knew ahead of time would say yes if I popped the question. And she did. On July the 7th, 1977, I got married for the wrong reasons. We were married for 20 years, adopted two beautiful children, boy and a girl. They're both grown now. I wanted to be married, and I got married under my own terms. However, I didn't honor my wife according to the scriptures. I wanted to have children, but I didn't even give them the loving time and leadership that they so deserved from a godly Bible-believing father. Throughout the whole 20 years, my wife and I were faithful in church, two services every Sunday, midweek service, and also taught Sunday school classes. I guess I was looked up to as a well-respected member of the church, but underneath all the facade was a totally different person. Underneath it all, I was a very unhappy, unfulfilled, hurting individual, which I realized later was only uh, it was only concerned with his own agenda. As long as I got what I, what I wanted, I, all was well. It's no wonder that our marriage finally ended. It was doomed before we started. We separated in 1997 after 20 years of marriage. All she ever wanted was a good husband 
and a happy family. And the main reason we separated was because even after 20 years of marriage, I was still thoroughly selfish in my thinking. And by this time, I found myself immersed in transgendered issues. I think I was looking for a way out of the hurt in my life because I hadn't let Jesus be my focus. I turned from the Lord. I had always confessed to my Savior. I believe that this was due to a lack of Bible reading and personal Bible study. Also a lack of prayer. But now my sinful desires brought me to the place that I uh, joined a transgendered club called Illusions. Now, my sinful desires brought me to the place that I joined... Oh, yeah. Sorry. My mind was consistently given only to the desires of the flesh. I now not only wanted to dress as a woman, I wanted to become a woman. My life went from believing in Jesus as a child to believing only in myself as an adult. Excuse me just for a moment. On July the 7th, 2003, I underwent gender reassignment surgery in Montreal, Quebec, under the name of Leslie Diane Montgomery. This is still my legal name, and it's on my Alberta ID card. Because the name Leslie works for the male as well as the female, I never bothered getting it changed. Incidentally, that's the name my mother had chosen for me before I was born. My life was ruined. I didn't realize at the time, but I now know that I was lost. I lived totally as a woman for 10 years, 1997 to 2007. As time passed, I began to feel very guilty and convicted about everything I had done to my family and to my God. I knew in my heart at the time that what I had done was wrong, but just like the Scripture says, I suppressed the truth in my ungodliness. In the summer of 2007, the Spirit of God began to move in my heart, and I turned turned to the book of Romans. I knew that my life was in a helpless state, and the book of Romans always seemed to give me hope. As I read and studied the scriptures, I came to know that I could no longer continue the charade that had cost me everything that I truly loved in my life, my family, and mostly my God. I finally got down on my knees and cried out to God for mercy and asked Him to save me from myself. With the help of my dear friends and and, uh, His wonderful wife, Marie, Turner, I went shopping for new male clothes to begin my life over again. Before the end of the year, I cut my hair and began to live my life as the man that God had made me to be. And uh, Richard was the person instrumental in my leaving Central United Church 
and joining Calvary Grace, for which I will be eternally grateful. It hasn't been easy. Although our sins are forgiven in Christ, there are still consequences in this life. The loss of my family was the most painful of all. I continued to deal with debilitating depression which developed during those years. But one of the best things that happened since that was I started reading my Bible most days for an hour. Through this practice, God has done a new work in me, which has done more for me than any medication could do. It has lifted me high above my depression and truly given me new life over the past three years of my three and a half years. I find my identity totally in Christ that gives me hope, which I never had before. I believe that we have all failed in many ways, but Jesus Christ, as a man, perfectly lived his life before God and men to bring us all to the Father. He took my punishment on the cross for all my sinful disobedience that I might be made holy in the sight of God the Father through His obedience. He made me a new creation through the new birth. I know that I am now forgiven and am free to be like Him. Jesus said in Matthew 19.4, Have you not read? that from the beginning God made them male and female. This means that our biological God-given sex dictates our gender, and this is not changeable. He made us male to glorify Him as men. By the power of Christ, I can now live a life of biblical manhood through His mercy and grace. I currently lead a couple of Bible studies. Um, One of the former apartment building I was in up to a year ago, uh, and uh, now where I reside in assisted living. I feel I can also be a father figure in my church family. So incidentally, the, the, uh, the one study in my old residence, we've got, I think, four more studies to do in the book of John and we'll we'll have completed the whole book of John using the teaching of John MacArthur and it's just been a wonderful experience. So, uh, but I give all the glory and honor, God all the glory and honor for lifting me out of the muck and mire of the world and taking the muck and the mire out of me. He made me clean. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. I conclude with the following scriptures. Numbers 32.23 You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. 1 Corinthians 9, I mean 6, verses 9-11 to Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
Romans 8, 5-11 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And I just say again, in conclusion, take heed lest you be deceived. Thank you.